Hello listeners, welcome back to another episode from Winning Edge Talks podcast. This is Vishwanath, your host. As you all know, I'm a sports psychology coach, counselor, author, blogger, podcaster, and sports mental performance analyst. I've authored the book Success Mantra in Sports. I'm delighted to announce that this is my 100th episode. I thank you all wholeheartedly for your encouragement and support that you've given me. You helped me to grow. Thank you. And for this episode, I have with me a special guest who is from Newcastle, Northern United Kingdom. He's a sports psychologist, mental toughness trainer, blogger, podcaster. He's the founder and administrator of the group, the Sports Psychology Hub. You too can get access to this group on Facebook. Please do. Okay, without much ado, let me welcome Mr. David Charlton to the talk show. Mr. David, nice to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the invite and for your 100th episode as well. That's that's fantastic. Well, well done for that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, now, uh, Mr. David, why and how did you get into sports psychology? Right, uh, so as a youngster, I was a reasonably talented golfer, I would say. Um, to give some context, context, I play off a two handicap now. Um, the dream in those days was to be a, to a professional golfer, which in hindsight, I, I didn't necessarily have the talent. However, also the mental side was a big factor. I wasn't, I wasn't very confident. Um, I would say I, I was one of those people who worried an awful lot about what other people thought, be that players I was playing with, coaches, parents, and yeah, I was, I was distracted, probably a little bit of anxious really yeah, when, I, when I was playing. Um, I then got into, I did a little bit of football coaching in my, in my early 20s. I had a real interest in that, but again, I would say the, the confidence side of things just didn't help me. So at that point, I, I had an interest it, I gained an interest and appreciation for sports psychology. I didn't do anything with it. And then tragically, um, my wife got diagnosed with cancer when I was in my early 30s. She she later died what, um, over a year later. Um, and it was during that, that time period when she was ill that I decided that I was going to look to do a, have a career change. Um. Naturally, it was a really difficult time, and it was the following year after she died that my, I suppose my, had a decision to make. I'd been made redundant from my job, and it was a case of either I do make that decision and go for the career change, or I, I stick at what I was currently doing at the time. So I went for it, and yeah, I'm pleased to, pleased to say that it's been a good decision. Okay. Uh, Mr. David, uh, first of all, uh, I'm very sorry to hear that you lost your wife to cancer. Uh, please accept my condolences, even though it has been a very long time. And uh, I hope uh, God is giving you the strength to bear with that and uh, continue more on with life. Um, uh, Mr. David, when you said earlier you were a golfer and you struggle with the mental side of golf, 
to relate to that uh, i do want to say that you know i was a cricketer throughout and uh, during my early days i too struggled on the mental side i was a very talented and but when it came to the match i was always i was a nervous wreck uh, all nerves uh, my feet didn't move i chose the wrong ball to uh, punish normally i dig i dug my own grave i got out to in a silly fashion then i started working on myself so uh, this led to my that uh, inquest on to learn learning how sports uh, how mind affected sports performance that quest led to uh, this uh, journey so when he said that i could relate to that okay uh, mr david uh, how popular is uh, sports psychology in the united kingdom is it widely sought after by athletes and teams uh, so so yeah we we're, we're getting there uh, if i if i think back to what well, when am i when i started making the transition back in what 2009 2010 that that was one of my concerns was how i was going to make a living from it and if you looked at the uk sport jobs um website which is quite popular for applied work in those times there was maybe i don't one one job in sports psychology every say, two months would come up whereas now if i look which i do on a weekly basis to share the content into the, the facebook group you mentioned um you you must be looking at you know there's always two or three opportunities most weeks so that that to me you know does show that the it is more valued and there are certainly more opportunities out there um how popular it is with i suppose these opportunities are are with governing bodies or and with clubs when it comes down to individual athletes um yeah it's um i suppose if i look at inquiries that i get now i get a lot more than i used to but i still think there's a there's a long way to go to to really um what what to, to to come to you know i think sports psychology could be used an awful lot more can you tell the listeners what challenges sports psychologists in the uk are facing generally i think one challenge is the the value piece so i suppose if you look at what strength and conditioning if you look at potentially performance analysts and sports science in general there's numbers statistics to to be able to measure progress and what sports psychology i suppose could be argued to be a little bit pink and fluffy in in that way um so i think the measurability aspect maybe does cause lots of questions for for some people um so that in turn means that a lot of clubs and organizations will be looking to place maybe like the trainee sports psychologist or people with little experience in some of the roles they'll try and get people to do stuff for for free um which i, I recognize you know you, you do need to do that up to a point but when you look at the reality um if i if i was to talk up how much money i spent on my education it would be in the region of about 70 to 80000 pounds if i 
look, if I was to train for as to be an occupational psychologist, I would spend exactly the same amount of money. However, um, the, the opportunities when you get qualified are, are very different, certainly from that financial value type of, um, um, I think as well as a sports psychologist, maybe challenges that they have. So I'm looking at this from a slightly different tack now. Um, we're not told in a degree, in a master's degree, in a, the next stage, which is a, a, a chartership, um, how to market our services. And I think a lot of sports psychologists really struggle with that and the best way to go about that. Um, I see them posting an awful lot on social media, but certainly from my perspective, just posting on social media doesn't cut it. It's it's not going to get you clients. You, you need to do more than that. Um, yeah, I've got one more challenge. So the third one, <laughs> um, I would say, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of sports psychologists out there. So there's, Every year, there's more and more coming into the area. You also have a lot of mind coaches, mental skills coaches who've done two-week qualifications, three-month qualifications here and there. So that, again, can be a challenge for for the sports psychologist, which links, obviously, to the, the marketing angle. Okay. Okay. What efforts are being made in the UK to promote sports psychology? Do you have associations, networking, then the applied psychology part? How do you promote? Yeah, yeah so, sorry. So, so yeah, we have two bodies. You've got the BPS, so that's the, the British Psychological Society. Get my words out. And then you have BASES, which is the British Association of Sport and Exercise Scientists. So they have between two and four year programs, which run after someone's done a degree and then a master's degree. Um, so, so they're actively promoting sports psychology in in different ways. The certainly what I what I what I would notice is the BPS would be very re, like research heavy in the way that they promote it. Bases too. However, bases seem to have more of a more of an understanding, or more well, not necessarily understanding, but they they tend to share more educational things around the applied aspect to sports psychology. So, in in both, I suppose both bodies do a, do very good jobs, um, but they they come at it from two very different angles. That they. They have conferences on a regular basis, and again, they they provide CPD and um, like different networking events. How about your networking? Uh, do you have an association of applied sports psychologists? Do you meet often? Do you interact? Do you support each other? Actually, that I could have mentioned that as a challenge. Really thinking about it, you know, it, it, it it's, yeah, it's a lonely role as being a sports psychologist. So. I would say for a lot of sports psychologists, they they will feel that that pain of of being isolated. Per, personally, I've tried to do something about that. So I've I've got a, a team now who I work with, and there's a group of us. There's around about ten of us, and we support each other. Um, 
that they're based not only in the UK, actually. I've got a, an Italian counterpart and I have, I've actually, funny enough, I've got someone who's based in India as well, who's part of our, our team. Um, and I, I feel that works really well. We, we do a, we have probably about two or three events every month to, to be able to help each other out and, um, present to each other and challenge each other along the way. And that's, that's hugely beneficial. Mr. Ribbit, first of all, uh, we look at each other as, uh, competitors rather than facilitators. So we should be seeing ourselves in that role, uh, because, the, the sports world is too huge for one person to do all jobs. So we can specialize, we can connect, we can share our work, we can do a whole bunch of things. But uh, we should stop looking at ourselves, at each other at, as competitors. Uh, that is one point. And the second is uh, your sports psychology hub is already doing that bridging work. As you said, there's one in Italy, there's one already in India, and you have Oh, a lot of things are happening. Your, your um, uh, sports group is already doing a wonderful uh, job at it. So uh, best of luck in the future. Um, do more of this connecting work so that this uh, industry grows and uh, athletes will be helped uh, from it. Okay, Mr. David, uh, which sports do you specialize in? So obviously I alluded to golf and football earlier. Um, in, the, in the UK... In the in our winter time, which is uh, probably from about October through till March, April time, I would specialise more with football and rugby at that time of the year. And then the golf season, the cricket season, they open up in around about April time through till the back end of our summer in September. So they would they would complement the, the the football and the rugby. So that that, that keeps me nice and busy. Um, in addition, though, when you say, what, what do you specialize in? I could reel off probably about another 20 sports that I, that I do get involved in. And I, I love that variety in all honesty. And I think, you know, I think it's great. You can learn an awful lot from one sport and then apply it into another sport. Yeah. Ideally, we should specialize in one sport, but uh, since one sport cannot give you so much work, uh, we need to look elsewhere. I don't know. For me, there's an argument to say that if you specialize in one sport, you you can miss out on some learning experiences that you get from other sports. But I, I do understand what you're saying about being a specialist in one sport and how, how helpful that can be. Uh, Mr. David, with sports becoming increasingly commercial these days, stress levels are on the rise. The stress levels are very high and the services of sports psychologists are sought more often than, than before. But most coaches and former athletes feel that there is no need for mind training. It's, it's a hoax. They say it's some kind of a... a it is, there's no need for that. What do you have to say about this? So yeah, I, I would argue that the the real forward thinking athletes, the real forward thinking coaches, won't have that viewpoint. So I recently read a book from Arsene Wenger, who was the Arsenal manager for what for in football for twenty years plus. And when he first went to Arsenal, so that would 
be probably about 30 years ago now. Um, he was actually looking at sports psychology support then. So, and we're still having this conversation now about the, the fact that it maybe is, is underutilized, clearly demonstrates you know that he was ahead of his time. And so, so my message is, my message there to, to coaches and former athletes who say there is no need for mind training um, would be to potentially look at themselves and question, you know, do they have a fixed viewpoint, a fixed mindset in, and, and then, you know, seek to, to open their eyes and, you know, speak to people like ourselves and actually try and educate themselves and understand what, ex- what exactly we do. Um, I think that's. I think that that is the key to it is trying to educate these these people because they're they're very quick to to what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, just just not explore things. Maybe we should coach the coaches uh, with regard to mind training, how mind works, and how mind can help uh, increase uh, sports performance. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree actually, on, on that score, when I when I've been involved in programs with governing bodies what i have recognized is one of the most important factors is actually building up trust and rapport with the coaches by by trying to help them develop as a coach and that that's really helped me the challenge is though and the difficulty i've had is when you do that the athletes the players involved can think oh is is he actually too close to the coaches and then they have that lack of trust with you so it's a it's a it's a tough job in in, in that respect yes uh, it was my question was next was that uh, most athletes are not fully aware of the importance of mind in sports performance hence they are reluctant to seek the services coaches are a big hindrance to us they don't advocate mind training can you suggest how we can change this how are you dealing with this kind of stuff yourself so to try and open up coaches to more into mind training, um, I think one of the challenges you have is some coaches will maybe do a, a certification program for three months or so on sports psychology. And then you see them selling their services as a sports psychologist or someone who's got a, a huge knowledge of it. Well, I don't know. I'm I'm uncomfortable with that when I when I think I trained for seven years as a sports psychologist to get there, and then even now I'm still updating my knowledge time and time again. So somewhere in that education process, we need to to I don't know get some different messages out to coaches that it's a continuous learning cycle, and the the field of sports psychology is evolving and evolving. Day day by day, um, it, it it's difficult, isn't it? it often you, you know you find coaches maybe won't get a sports psychologist involved out of a a lack of trust, maybe because they have a such a good relationship with their athlete or athletes that they don't want us to get involved in case we mess with their heads. Um, and again, that's that's just down to a lack of education and not really understanding fully how we go about our jobs I, I, I don't know i don't know about you but 
certainly the way I go about it, I'm, I'm more of a questioner trying to bring out the answers from the athlete as opposed to telling them they should be doing this, they should be doing that. But yeah, communication is the, the, the key piece in all of this with, with coaches and athletes. Yeah, I agree with that to you with you that when you said the coaches think that uh, we're going to, okay, um, disturb the athlete's mind. Yeah, please. I just add one other point. So... You've alluded to the fact that I have a podcast and one of the things that I've I've learned from my podcast, so it's about demystifying mental toughness and in there, well, part of mental toughness is having confidence in your abilities and lots of coaches get into that role because they are pretty confident in their abilities. And yeah, one of, one of the things I've learned is yeah, it's it's obviously it's a skill and that you can develop to be confident and it's good to be confident. However, if you're overly confident in your abilities, then, and I think this does happen to a number of coaches, they're not then open to learning. It's as if they've cracked it. They are where they are and they, they don't want to know. They don't want to don't challenge themselves even further. Whether there's a fear underlying there as well, I'm not quite sure, or if it's just a lack of self-awareness. Uh, the coaches think that they know it all and they can do our roles as to how they can train at least on the mind. And uh, they also have that insecurity that um, other people should not get into that territory and they need to get the whole, uh, you, may, you may say the name when it comes, whenever it comes. So they feel a little insecure about other people coming in. They don't trust others. And and yeah, they, uh, they can do it. It comes with experience, no doubt. But uh, they can't attend to the whole club where there are so many individuals. Each individual is different. They can't understand what is going on inside the individual. And they, if they made communication open uh, with the individuals, then uh, they will hear a lot of issues coming from the athletes where they can with patient listening and with uh, their knowledge and about even the many aspects of the mind, they can help athletes, but if the communication is not there, they're missing something. So coaches, will, uh, the athletes will not interact with them. They'll not come out with uh, the actual issues. So uh, it's a big challenge and um, it's time that they opened up and uh, just stick to the, their role and not uh, take the whole responsibility of uh, uh, from uh, making champions out of their athletes. Uh, there's a lot, many things involved. Strength and conditioning, nutrition, sports psychology, which is not exactly their domain. So uh, they should stick to their uh, uh, managing the athletes uh, as far as the skills are concerned, running the club and many other things. So definitely, uh, they too can do a lot more uh, in terms of being mentors, mind coaches when the sports psychologists are not available. They too can learn a lot uh, with, with their interaction with the sports psychologists. And uh, in a way, whenever uh, they serve sports psychologists cannot be everywhere. So the coaches can play that role very effectively. So it's wise that they are more broad-minded and be open uh, to this aspect of uh, mental training. Yeah, no, I, I agree with uh, some of some of your, your sentiments there about, as we say, about being open-minded. And really, for the for the sports psychologist, I think really that that does typify why we need to to try and build really good relationships up with coaches to to understand the stresses, the pressures that they face as well, 
Because, um, yeah, we, we've got to be understanding from that respect that often their jobs are on the line if the performances of their athletes do suffer. Um, and then they've got busy lives as well. If if they're not a, not a professional coach, they might have other jobs and they'll have families and things. And, yeah, that, that time aspect can be can really difficult for them. Uh, Mr. David, I, I read somewhere that... Uh... your english premier league uh, the barclays the football uh, clubs each club has a mind room and where uh, biofeedback is being used widely and i myself uh, i'm using my biofeedback which is uh, uh, from thought technology canada so they have been you having their mind rooms where all the top footballers the elite footballers uh, come over there and they get mentally trained i don't know on what uh, it's very nice to hear about that and that you know the football clubs are using uh, this mind room and mind training because as you look at football it looks like a very aggressive game and uh, we feel that it's only the strength stamina and aggression that will uh, make a football player and to read that they have been uh, training themselves mentally uh, is a really a wonderful uh, thing to know yeah most definitely and again it's it's a growing field in in football in that respect the how wouldn't say every club is doing that but certainly more and more are getting involved and and you know when you talk about the the what's the challenges footballers do face then one of the biggest things that i tend to work on actually again is communication um there's a lot of blaming goes on in football there's a lot of comparisons with their teammates fear cultures go takes place the way coaches communicate with them the way the teammates communicate a lot of criticism they've got to deal with from again from parties in the club and then social media so a massive part of my role is actually help and educate them how to assert themselves in those different types of situations so ultimately they they feel a bit better in themselves and and more comfortable and confident and then it allows them to express themselves more freely on the pitch Okay. I remember Ben Stokes uh, took a break from international uh, cricket due to mental health concerns. Today I read in the papers about Jason Roy withdrawing from this year's IPL citing bubble fatigue. How is the UK addressing mental health in sports and what is the role of uh, sports psychologists in this regard? So so yeah mental health seems to be a huge topic in the UK. It's talked about pretty much every day now you'll see something in the newspapers or or on their most prominent websites there where there's an athlete coming out talking about it so it's there's a lot more awareness um there's still uh, maybe the preconception f- from from athletes that they you know the, the fear of actually talking about it in public or or actually talking about it to a practitioner that is still there um and i suppose that that's probably down to the culture of elite sport where you know you you're told to to work really hard to grind it out to you're going to have bad days and to get your head down and if that that there's so i suppose there's mixed messages there isn't there if if you talk about it yes it is a strength but if you've got those messages in the culture that 
it isn't necessarily a strength. You, you, you're probably going to take a little bit longer than you would like to, to, um, to seek the, the relevant support. Um, a lot of, a lot of, let's face it, there's a lot of egos in certainly an elite sport. In terms of the, the role of the sports psychologist, though, I think this varies. The, our training now, there is more and more talk about mental health. However, I certainly would not tell a client that I'm a fully-fledged mental health practitioner. So, so for me, personally, I, I look at it more from a proactive angle where I'm trying to help optimize an athlete's well-being because if we're honest, what performance and well-being do go hand in hand. If, if I have any any doubts about their mental health and you know, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, OCD, then I would refer it on to a, a clinical psychologist or a counseling psychologist who's really specifically trained in those areas. And luckily enough, part, in part of our team, we do have a, a clinical psychologist and I'm looking to bring somebody else in as well. Cause I think, you know, they can actually, educate us and teach us and we can certainly work with them to, to refer them work. Okay. Mr. Devi Charlton, that was my last question. You have shared so many of your thoughts in the last 30 minutes. Is there anything more you want to add? Um, oh, anything more I want to add? Well, as far as the, the field goes, you know, it, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where we are in 10 years' time. We've we've made such huge leaps in the last decade. Um, it's, you know, it's, I think it's exciting times for the field. And on that note, what, what I'd love to hear now is, if you don't mind, can I ask you some questions? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I wondered what the, like, the accreditation process is like in, in India for you, how... How do you, you know, get qualified as a, as a sports psychology coach or consultant? Uh, if you have to tell you, applied sports psychology is still is in its infancy in India. The premier sports psychology association is the Sports Psychology Association of India, the SPAE, which we call. This was founded in 1985. But this association is mostly confined to these physical education universities because all the committee members, the management are professors and teaching staff of this physical education universities. And outside of it, they're not doing much as far as the applied work is concerned, uh, at attending to the professional uh, athletes outside of the universities. But in the West, uh, most professional athletes are also students of universities where the sports psychology applied uh, sports psychologists get an opportunity to talk to the uh, professional athletes. And in India, it's different. Uh, the professional athletes uh, don't have interaction with the uh, professors of these uh, physical education universities. So uh, even uh, as far as sports psychology accreditation is concerned, uh, there are not many colleges offering uh, regular uh, sports psychology undergraduate and master degrees in psychology up until recent years. Now many universities have come up. There's a university started by the uh, Governor of India, which is the is at Manipur, which is a sports sciences university that offers uh, sports psychology as also uh, up to the master's level. Then there is an university in Punjab, then, then another in Chennai, 
in south india which are offering up to the sports uh, i mean the masters uh, degrees uh, as far as the certification goes uh, there is no certification coming from any particular uh, association even the spy don't uh, certify the uh, psychologists as uh, they are uh, uh, they are certified to practice as applied uh, practitioners uh, that is uh, still not uh, uh, in the in practice in india so a lot needs to be done and as as you said earlier there is no networking each one is working independently by himself and uh, there are many sports psychologists who have come from abroad who have done their masters and even the total uh, degrees uh, from abroad foreign universities who are back in india and working with uh, many professional athletes and many sports bodies and uh, sports um, establishments they are doing their work very sincerely but um, it's is a lot needs to be done so the work has just begun and uh, most athletes are uh, getting the hang of it because today sport is very commercial uh, many athletes are making sport their profession and when it is a profession they are very desperate they are very insecure so the mind takes a lot of beating it gets stressed up and it gets uh, that's why it also shows in their performance now they are able to realize uh, that um, mind training is required after all and it was thought that no the bodies will do the job the mind has no role but now they are going to understand but they agree that mind training is necessary but they don't open up uh, to to this even uh, uh, psychological counseling is still a taboo in india they are not open to getting themselves uh, counseled and meeting a mental health professional or a psychologist or a uh, psychotherapist as such so a lot needs to be done in this regard so more and more um, uh, youngsters and uh, young students are taking up interest in sports psychology and as you said uh, uh, brighter days are ahead uh, as far as the field of sports psychology is concerned so uh, that's it yeah no it's yeah it sounds like a yeah it'll be as you say it'll be very interesting again in your country to to see where it, where it goes out of interest then i've listened to Virat Kohli, for argument's sake, talk an awful lot uh, about about cricket and the way he's changed his approach over the last decade. And he looks like a guy who's worked with a sports psychologist. You know, so if you know, if I was a Virat, well, if there was a Virat Kohli out there, a Roy Sharma, who would they be looking to approach to to help them with their their mind? i don't know really because all those things are kept under wraps even if uh, sports psychology would have trained him to come out of bad form or discover his old uh, good self and uh, to flourish they would not be coming out openly they would rather thank their uh, skill coach than say that i had been to a, a mental coach because it's still a taboo that people will wonder what had happened to him now even virat kohli had uh, virat kohli and many other even in the indians are coming out and saying that uh, talking about their mental health slowly they are coming out of the shell saying that mind is important it's nothing it's not a crime to come out and say that i am going through a certain issue i am having mental health concerns i am under depression slowly people are coming out of the bud and expressing themselves but definitely they would not pay credit to any sports psychologist whom they have uh, sought earlier uh, that's why i say Uh, this role of ours is a thankless job it's a behind the scene work and uh, if you are happy and maybe 
uh, you'll be lucky if uh, the athlete himself has uh, acknowledged uh, the kind of uh, assistance you have given to them saying that oh that helped me a lot uh, if they say that that itself is a big uh, ask you know that itself is a big uh, <laughs> uh, feedback or a reward that you'll be getting from your athletes so on the line it's just a, a back end work you know behind the scene work and uh, when you win uh, international medals and uh, olympic medals or when you win world cups it's only the coach who is seen with the athletes and not the <laughs> mind coaches so <laughs> let us be satisfied with the kind of work we are doing and uh, if your ward it goes out there in the pitch and does well you too can take pleasure out of it feeling that yes uh, he is doing well uh, rather than <laughs> blaming me that i had been to a uh, uh, what do you call um you gone to a psychologist and he didn't tell me any more anyway at all <laughs> that yeah yeah it's interesting that cuz i can remember listening to something joss butler came out with um it was about 2 years ago when he was playing out with rajasthan in the ipl and he he'd been talking to some it was like a like a lifestyle coach who was attached to to rajasthan and well yeah he he basically said that made a huge impact on his career so clearly what in the IPL they they must have mental coaches lifestyle coaches involved to to be able to help the players in their teams yeah thank you so thank you mr david charlton for coming on the show expressing your thoughts sharing your ideas uh, i i myself learned a lot from you and uh, i got to know a lot about what is happening in the uk as far as sports psychology is concerned so i wish you all the best in your future endeavors and uh, we'll keep meeting on social media often we'll exchange our uh, our work <laughs> through mails so we will keep in touch so thank you once again for coming on the show it was wonderful having you well, thank you yeah thank you for the invite Thank you I've really enjoyed it and yeah I wish you well with the, the next 100 episodes. Wow. <laughs> That's a huge responsibility you are giving me. But thank you. It will inspire me to do a lot more. Okay. Maybe if you find maybe we'll do this kind of uh, uh, shows uh, together in the future. Maybe if I find something in the sports field that needs a uh, discussion uh, maybe we can do this uh, very often. Yeah, most definitely not really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you.